What would you do if you could do anything? I'm Elena, and welcome to The Purpose Effect, conversations with women about living lives of purpose. I speak to women who have started businesses, turned their passions or side hustles into careers, or dedicated their lives to helping others. In having these conversations, I'm learning how to identify purpose, how to go after it once you've found it, and what life looks like on the other side. If you're looking to dive into your purpose, These stories will definitely inspire you to take the plunge. Today, I'm speaking to Shireen Olek, a.k.a. the Illuminated Psychologist. In her clinical practice, Shireen helps her clients discover and become the highest versions of themselves. We talk through the practical steps you can take to discover what the highest version of yourself looks like and how to stay on the course towards this once you've found it. Shireen teaches us that flexibility is key to consistency, how to develop success mindset, and to always, always make your bed in the morning. Hi, Shireen. Welcome. I'm so grateful that you have agreed to come on The Purpose Effect and have this chat with me because I love the way you discuss issues like change and growth. It's very uh, practical, relatable, and optimistic, you know, you really inspire the confidence that big changes and achieving your ambitions are possible for everybody. So thank you again for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Elena. I'm so excited to be here. Okay. So I guess the first question I want to start with, which I will be asking all of our guests moving forward is how do you define purpose? Great question. So for me personally, purpose would be the meaning that I've assigned to my life. And for everyone else, I would view it as purpose for them would be the meaning that they've applied to their life. Mm -hmm. Reason being, we all need that lighthouse in a way. So as we're going through life, this is basically what's going to guide us. And for me personally, it helps me decide what are some big life decisions that I want to make. It's going to help me decide on my behavior and also essentially at the root of it, right? What kind of work do I want to do? And what I noticed is that for me, it's meaningful, but satisfying. So that's my purpose. And then that's what I aim to uh, share with those around me. And so leading on from that, how did you get into psychology? Was it also a desire to do meaningful work for others? Such an interesting question. I mean, I've been asked this quite a few times. And one of the earliest memories that I have was actually when I was about 16 or 17. And I just remember saying to um, my parents that I want to go into clinical psychology. This is what I want to do. I don't think at that time I even truly understood what it meant, like the level of work that I would be doing. But I remember having that conversation. And of course, back then, um, in an Asian context, you know, mental health, it's just picking up. Yeah. So back then when I mentioned it, it wasn't really received too well. And right. I was definitely, um, I didn't get the hundred percent support, but along the way I didn't really budge. I kept bringing it up. So here I am. So I want to talk a little bit about finding the highest version of yourself, which is, is something that you also talk about. 
The first step, I believe, in finding purpose is to find out what the highest version of yourself looks like. How do you define that? And then what is it about your life or your relationships that need to change? So how does somebody start? Great aspect. So if you look at that, with with life, there's so many different factors that go in, right? We play so many different roles. So if we just mm-hmm. start on that Um, on that step, when someone wants to make a change, start asking yourself, wait a second, let's look at my friendships. Mm -hmm. What do I rate my friendships one out of 10? So let's say if someone's giving friendships like, okay, 10 out of 10, my friendship life is great. But then with family, they notice, oh, but family, I'm only going to give four out of 10. Maybe because every time I come back from work, I'm snappy, I'm cranky. I am not giving my best self to my family. So now you're able to see, right? I'm at a four. I would be happier if I was at a nine. And this is where you start to dive deeper. So what do I need to do? Like, what are some uh, measurable steps that I need to do that I can then rate myself as a nine or a 10 Mm -hmm. in the family department? And that might simply be when I get back from work, I'm clocking out from work. I'm not still tuned into work, laptop, phones, things like that. And the same then applies if you dive deeper into it. Before we look at all the other relationships, we also want to ask ourselves, but what about me? Am I happy with who I am? That means if I take away all the roles that I need to be playing, right? right? Am I happy with me? And Mm -hmm. for me personally, something that I realized was I don't make time for me. I'll make time for everyone else, but suddenly I'm the last person. Mm -hmm. So I realized, okay, no, the highest version of me would definitely schedule out me time. Highest version of me would make an effort not to lose her temper. And so then those were the things that helped with change. Identify what it is, the gap, and then start to ask yourself, what are the things that I need to do to get to the place that I would be happy with? And everyone's going to have a different answer. I think that's really helpful. The fact that you talk about it in terms of a measurable scale, um, because I think when, once you can measure something, then you can start to evaluate different areas of your life and make positive changes. Absolutely. So once we've identified the areas of our life that might need to change in order for us to find that highest version of ourself, that purpose, we get into the really difficult part, right? The, the part of actually making changes. Why is change so hard when we know and we can visualize the positives that come out of it? We know this is better for us, but yet we really still struggle to do it. Well, great question. If you actually look deeper into that, when we're trying to change into something new, we are essentially shedding behind our old skin. We're saying, okay, I'm no longer that identity. I'm forming a new identity. So what's so scary is that who's this new person? You know, what are the roles, the responsibilities, the accountabilities that this new person is going to have? And realizing You're actually stepping up to that. Mm -hmm. So why is change so hard? People know that, oh, if I do A, B, and C, I'm going to get this really positive outcome. But here's the thing. They've not experienced the positive outcome yet, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So they can only imagine it. But right now, if I say to someone, hey, you know, you're on this weight loss journey and your goal is to lose five kilos by, you know, X month, but here's some cake. 
Well, they've never actually experienced their life at that five kilos lighter, but they have tried cake before. So in that moment, what becomes more familiar? Oh, cake. And this is why change becomes so hard because it's not about, oh, when I get there, then I'll be consistent about it. No, it's even at times when you feel like you don't want to be consistent, that's when you need to be your most consistent. Right. So consistency is key. That's one of those annoying things that we all know, but we rarely practice. So how do we actually develop that? How do we create regular practices of consistency that we use throughout our day and we can help, we can use to help us stay on track? Yes. So actually what I've realized is that, you know, if you know that you're going to be uh, given a quiz or an exam on something, let's say on best behavior, right? Okay. I'm, I'm saying to you, hey, Elena, at the end of the day, I'm going to give you a little exam to check if you were on your best behavior. You're going to have that in your mind and you're actually going to be on your best right. behavior. But here's what happened. When we go about our daily lives, we don't have those exams. We don't have those quizzes. So we slip. Whereas if you just have, and everyone's got their phone with them, right? This is such, it's, Everyone basically just has it um, either in their life or they're using it. So what I've noticed is if you just set on your calendar a reminder, example, let's say your goal is to be a calmer person, right? So every hour you have an alarm going off, like a reminder on the calendar, and it's just going to ask you this one question. Did I do my best to be calm in this hour? So if you look at it, Every hour, you're actually being accountable to yourself. If someone else's goal, let's say it was to eat healthy, then every hour they're actually getting that reminder, right? Did I do my best to eat healthy? Do you also, would you also recommend like journaling or something at the end of the day, reflecting at the end of the day? You know, I I like this idea of having a test every day, a quiz every day, and you evaluate whether or not you uh, lived up to those objectives journaling can be especially helpful. And what could be more beneficial is if you start your day with that journaling aspect, because you're already setting your Mm -hmm. intention. So example of that, whatever your goal is, whatever the change is, start your day with actually listing it out. What is the change that you want to make? And what is the reason that it's important to you? So as humans, if we do not have importance on something, we're not going to give our 100% attention to it. But let's say if I know, hey, um, it's important for me to finish off this set of audio recordings because this is going to be posted on this social media aspect and that's going to help me grow my business. Now I know why I have to do it. And when I'm not accountable to that, yeah. well, look at where the self-sabotage comes in, right? I have to be accountable and I have to realize, wait a second, I'm not getting things done. So if if, uh, journaling can actually be used in the evenings to reflect on, did you have difficulties uh, reaching your goals throughout the day? Did you experience any ease that, you know, was linked to the change that you're trying to make? So think of it like a bit of a cheat sheet. What's difficult, you then figure out how can I better solve this the next time? And what's easy, you want to keep using that. Right. Okay. And and then how do we get 
around some of the the common things that often keep us stuck. So I'm thinking about fear, perfection, and the combination of those two things and how they can often lead to procrastination. Absolutely. The thing about that perfectionistic mindset is that it's never enough. It's always going to be saying to you, your work isn't good enough. Your work isn't good enough. You have to do more. But at the root of it, it's the fear that the work is not going to be accepted by other people. And sometimes when that fear is so um, heavy, that can lead to procrastination because it can feel very scary to just get started on something. But think about this for a moment. What's actually the worst thing that could happen if you did get started? And a lot of times people just say, okay, the worst thing that could happen is I get started, but my outcome, you know, people don't like my work. All right. So then you try again, you try something different and also trying to understand if you can start, Mm -hmm. that's how you figure out what's going to work and what's not going to work. But a lot of people view failure as something that's so scary. Here's the thing. If you never fail, how are you going to learn to succeed? So it's also that aspect of realizing if you're fearing failing, you're not giving yourself the best shot to take steps to succeed because you're always fearing that you might fail. Yeah. So I think that often the fear may be less with failing and more with failing publicly or being criticized because for whatever reason, many of us are terrified about what other people might say about us. And particularly in this age of social media, if you allow yourself to be vulnerable and put something out there, there was always that issue of keyboard warriors criticizing us. Why is that so scary? Why do we even care? Well, if you think about it, at the root of human drive, right, we all drive to be accepted. So it's almost like a program. We are born into this world. We want to be accepted by people. And suddenly, if someone is, you know, criticizing us or going, hey, making this nasty comment, it's like, oh, no, Mm. they don't accept me. Here's the thing, though. Not everyone is at a place where they're able to show um, their best. So, for instance, some people are going through their own mental health issues. And those are the people that you notice online. They're very angry. They're very critical. They're very snappy. Normally, if I sort of see comments like that, all that I'm thinking about is, wow, this person is already going through such a tough time in their life that this is what's coming out from them. Why would I let that affect me? Yeah. So it's not really about you. It's about them. That criticism is is triggering that an insecurity they have about themselves. Absolutely. So looking at that, it's important to actually build on the relationship with yourself first, because remember, when you've got a really strong sense of relationship with yourself, uh, self-love, where you're able to talk yourself through difficult moments in life, that's Mm -hmm. how you can bounce back. I'm not saying that reading hurtful comments are not going to affect anyone. They definitely do. But the key of it is reading it and going, okay, this person has said that, but does this help me in my life? Is this going to help me get to where I need to get to? And if you realize it doesn't, that's where you have to make a choice. Am I going to lug these hurtful words with me or am I just going to leave them here because this person's hurt is not my job to heal? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I want to talk a little bit about what you call success mindset, because in the last six months, 
you have changed from working within a private practice to setting up uh, your own business, setting out on your own. And yeah. not only that, you've done it in the middle of a pa- global pandemic. So congratulations. Thank you. You've also told me that financially this has worked out better than you could have ever imagined. So is this a product of success mindset? How did you manifest this? Well, to begin with, you know, success mindset, it really is about what is going to help you get to your goals, what's mm-hmm. going to help you be successful. Right. And what I realized is that, yeah, there were fears, there were a lot of doubts, you know, but then I just said to myself, hey, I got to be my best cheerleader. Like I need to be that for me right now. And in terms of financially worked out very well, I'd say Mm -hmm. the product of success mindset. Yes. Because what was my goal? My goal was, I want to make X amount. And that's all that I focused on that. Okay. This is how much I want to be bringing in monthly. But then when more started coming in, I realized, wow, I can actually do more. And the key of it is also to enjoy what I'm doing. So I never put too much pressure on myself. I would just say to myself, I'm learning. You know, I don't need to have it all figured out right now. So it has to be a good balance of your best cheerleader, yes, but also sometimes the very harsh boss who's like, listen, buddy, you need to sit down today and do a lot of work. And that, I would say, that aspect of having that balance really helped me. Yeah, I think um, when you were talking about having a figure in mind that you wanted to make monthly, it's about going back to measurability and accountability. Exactly. And also being flexible because, you know, sometimes you have this plan, right? Like, oh, I want to launch this kind of thing in this month. And then you just uh, realize, wait a second, it's not really having the best um, interactions or engagement. And that's when it's time to just be flexible. Like, listen, I might've had my heart set on this. It's not really working out. I got to move in a different direction. Yeah. I think flexibility is one of those things that can be really difficult to put in your sort of mindset toolbox, both flexibility in terms of how we view ourselves, but also flexibility in terms of progression, right? Progress doesn't have to be a straight line. Exactly. Just being able to accept it. So self-acceptance as well. Mm-hmm. And learning that it's okay sometimes not to have it all figured out or not have it all go according to plan. Just flow with it. And essentially that can actually help. Um, just a really good example of that would be imagine if at that time, if I kept saying, no, no, you know, mm-hmm. I still got to be attached to an organization. I would have been struggling against this growth. Yeah. And so when I was just flexible with it and I thought, hey, you know, maybe it's just time to go off on your own. That helped me grow. It was scary, but it helped me grow. And how do you practice the flexibility? If if I look at it in terms of um, goal setting, so mm-hmm. again, right, we want to be able to measure our goals. But at the same time, if it's not working out in this month, the whole aspect is not to go, oh, you didn't preach mm-hmm. it. That means you're a failure. No, like still acknowledge the aspects of success. So maybe if I got 30% out of a uh, out of everything that I wanted, I'll still focus on the 30% that I got, 
I'll give myself a bit of that pep talk, good job. Yeah. And then I'll ask myself, so what are some steps that I need to take to get to the hundred? Maybe I need to learn more things. Maybe example, maybe I need to learn marketing, digital marketing, you know, so mm-hmm. on and so on. And then that's going to help me get to the hundred percent. But notice, right there in all of that, there is no aspect of putting myself down. Right. So the magic, I guess, is in this constant balance between being in your head and then being also able to zoom out, look at the situation, and then talk to yourself objectively. Absolutely. And journaling is a really great aspect of that because, um, of course, if it's all in your head, sometimes it can feel like there's too much happening, right? right? But if you have it out on paper, a really great thing is later on, let's say months from now, you can flip back and it's almost like, whoa, you know, I can see the growth because this is how I used to talk to myself back then. And this is how I talk to myself now. Or even that realization, like example for me, I remember back when I was still in the private practice, I I read this in my journal the other day. It said, I'm so grateful that I've got a hundred new clients. Okay. I had no practice of my own at that point. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, right. Like, how are you even going to find, you know, 10, but, um, just a few days ago, I actually counted through my client list and I was like, wait, I've got way more than a hundred. Wow. Your current client list is now way more than a hundred. Yeah. So I then realized, look at the power of intention, mindset, Mm -hmm. and focus, but you need to know where you're going to get there. So it's interesting that you say you need to know where you're going to get there, because I do agree with that. But I also think that sometimes change can begin with just a step, even if you don't know exactly where you're headed part of the process is accepting that it's a journey? Yes, absolutely. Sometimes you just got to take the first step. Um, Something that I recommend though, that can be helpful. So we might not know where, what each step is, but you kind of want to know like at end game, right? Like final step. If I looked around me, what would I see? Mm -hmm. So that's something that's really helpful. Whenever I just feel a bit lost or I'm feeling a bit low, rather than getting sucked into that, I just go into, wait a second, but this is my end goal. Yeah. And then the belief that whatever, whatever life throws at me, I'm going to do what I need to do to get there. Yeah. And what I believe is that in that aspect, because I know where I want to get to, but I don't know the steps from here to there, right? I'm not too sure how that's all going to work out. I know the final step and then I take it step by step. Right. Yeah. So it's about trust, right? Trust in yourself that once you take that first step, you'll be able to take the second and the third and the fourth. Absolutely. Building that momentum. Mm-hmm. So this is why it's so important to be consistent because right. imagine if, let's say today you take one step, but you're going in uh, north direction yeah. and you know, each day you are just taking one step in north direction, right? You would be making mm-hmm. change. But if one day you're going one step north direction, one step east direction, one yeah. step south, <laughs> where are you going? You could just end up, you know, going north for the sake of going north, going north because that's somebody else's expectations of you or expectations that you had, you know, weeks or months ago that you haven't also been flexible. Yes. 
So I want to talk a little bit about toxic productivity. There's a lot of discussion at the moment about growth hacks and success hacks. Now, when I hear the word hacks, I'm thinking shortcuts and box ticking exercises. But do you think this pressure for growth and to tick all of these boxes can also lead to um, toxic productivity? That could happen. Essentially, it's important to ask yourself, why are you doing something? So if it becomes, oh, because I have to be productive, I have to be productive, but let's get deeper. Why? Yeah. Sometimes what people do is they keep themselves so busy because it's actually um, a way of avoiding past trauma. Mm -hmm. And when they're finally just sitting still, that's when they realize, whoa, I'm having a lot of uncomfortable thoughts coming up, uncomfortable emotions. So let me just go do something. And that's the thing, right? Because they're so productive, people don't view it as a bad thing because they're probably very successful as well. But toxic productivity, essentially, you're just always finding a need to be on the go, do something, do something. And a good way to kind of um, indicate this or to become aware of this, notice what it's like when you're just taking a moment for yourself. So example, doing nothing. You know, some people just cannot do nothing. Yeah. And that sort of is an indication, like, why though? Sometimes they'll say, oh, I feel guilty. You know, I should be doing something. Yeah. Again, why? So we want to understand what are sort of the layers behind it. Some people might realize, oh, because this is how I grew up. My parents were always on the go, always being productive. Okay, so you've learned that, but it's not necessarily the healthiest aspect yeah, I think we also live in a society that rewards hyper productivity. Yes. Uh, doing in service <laughs> of being busy. Particularly when it comes to women, I think there's this myth that because women can sort of have it all, they must do it all. And there's been a culture, I mean, I'm certainly guilty of this, of idolizing the woman who works full time, is professionally successful, and still has time to come home, cook a family meal, and bake cookies for the kids' bake sale at the weekend. That can be a lot to actually handle because look at what it's saying. Do it all, but at what expense? Yeah. Whereas if we can just pull the focus to, if you can say every day that I was well, I was healthy, I managed my emotions well, my family managed their emotions well, um, you know, that might be something a little bit more beneficial rather than saying, if I go to work and I clean the house and I've done the laundry and I cook dinner, then I'm worthy. Yeah. But what happens if one day we just can't do all of that because, you know, maybe we're not feeling a hundred percent mentally and we just need a break. Then it's almost this guilt of, oh, wow, I need time for myself. I'm a bad person. Yeah. I mean, what if we put the same value on things like I managed to eat dinner with my family today and I managed to find out how everybody's day went. Now that's a good thing, right? That's building connection. Exactly. The connection, if you look at it, right, just having the quality connection. Yeah. Quality connections with people. I mean, those are the, those are the real valuable moments in life, I think, you know? Yes, because I did realize that, you know, when I was um, starting off my business, I was working every single day and I would just have small snippets in between, between sessions, like maybe 30 minutes or so. And I realized, well, I'm working so much, but I don't have any time to talk to my friends and I don't have any time to talk to my family because yeah. I'm exhausted when I'm done. So it was also that aspect of realizing I'm giving a lot. I'm building a lot in this area, 
but this other area I'm almost neglecting. Right. And that's where, you know, the measurable aspect came in of reading the different categories. So that's where I could actually see, okay, here I'm doing great. Here I need to, you know, buck up a little bit. And what, what can I do? And actually grading yourself in the different areas of your life. Yes. And again, because everyone's going to grade themselves differently, right? So I can't say to you, oh, tell me about yours and I'm going to grade you. No, you need to grade yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I 100% uh, agree with that. So what I'm picking up from what we've been chatting about is that growth and change is this constant practice. You know, it requires consistency, accountability, measurability, but also an element of flexibility, right? Um, if you find that what you're doing is not working or growth and purpose could take you in a slightly different direction. Um, so you are now five years sober. Congratulations. That's a huge achievement. Thank you. I was wondering if you could also talk about the practice of recovery, because that is a huge change in your life. And, and some of the steps and practices involved in recovery, I think are useful to anyone who's trying to commit to, to long-term change. Uh, most definitely. You know, one of the aspects, I mean, when it comes to recovery specifically, and I believe that this can be applied for everyone else who is trying to change in other areas, not just recovery, first identify yeah. what's the problem. Meaning, why is it important to change? And the thing is, if you are not set 100% in the why, you're not going to stay consistent. You're not going to feel it's important. Yeah. Because again, it's like, eh, it's not really that important. So start off with what's the damaging behavior? How is it damaging your life? How is it probably stopping you from reaching your full potential? And you know, the scary part about all of this is that when we're sometimes in it, we can't understand the the effects of it. So in this aspect, it can actually be really helpful to bring in someone close to you that you know is honest, someone that you trust, you respect, and ask them about this particular aspect of your behavior. Like ask them to really let you know, you know, how am I when I'm doing this particular thing? How do you think this is affecting me? The reason for that is if you start to question yourself when you're trying to change, at least you've got some support there. Like, oh, wait a second. No, this was backed up. You know, this is why it is important for me to change. And I think if I could just share one aspect for me that I realized, um, you know, probably that my drinking was so terrible. I, I had dogs at the time. I mean, they've passed away now, mm-hmm. but when I would drink, my dog would actually just get up and he would just hide from me. And it, it just surprised me. I just thought, whoa, when I'm sober, he's just my buddy. He'll be right next to me. But as soon as I've got, you know, a few drinks or one or two, he just doesn't want to be around me. And it just made me realize like, wow, even my dog doesn't want to be around me when I drink. You know, so sometimes really having those moments where you need to acknowledge how is your behavior affecting your life badly. Right. And something that I find very beneficial, connecting to a sense of faith. Yeah. So you might not have faith that you could do it every single day. But if you can just have faith that for today, you know, for yeah. today, you're going to show up for yourself. For today, you're going to make the healthy choice. 
that's all you need to do with anything. So even if someone is saying that, um, they want to lose weight example, right? Yeah. But you don't need to think about it as 20 years. Just ask yourself, I need to do this for myself today. And the next aspect, of course, can you sustain it then for 20 years, right? So if you're saying, yes, I can do it today. Yes, I can sustain it. Essentially, you would get to that uh, success aspect. Right. Yeah. I think big change is always scary, but if you can break it down or take it one step at a time, then it becomes more manageable. And then that also helps you to stay on track, right? Absolutely. I also want to talk about how other people's expectations of us can come into play here. Sometimes I find that when you're trying to make a change in your life, other people's expectations of you or other people's ideas about who you are can sort of lead you off the path. For for example, if you wanted to make a career change or if you decided you wanted to stop drinking, there will always be those people who say, oh, but if you don't drink, you're no fun anymore or If you've decided to change careers, people may say, oh, but don't you think that's a waste of all the experience you've had to this point? How do you put in place boundaries to stop you from falling into the trap of pleasing other people? That's a really great question. You know, it's also important to think of your relationship with everyone like a bridge, right? Start to notice the conversations that you're having with them and how they respond to you when you're sharing very deep mm-hmm. aspects. So example, uh, oh, but if you stop drinking, you're, you know, you're not going to be any more fun. Okay. I need to think about this for a second. Does this person have my best interests at heart? Yeah. Is this person really going to help me succeed? Because look at the the feedback that I'm getting from them. And in that moment, it's also asking, so should I keep this person as such a significant player in my life or do I need to retreat? This can be done with friends, definitely. But imagine if it's someone closer, like maybe um, a partner or family, right? In that aspect, very important to actually set the boundary with them. So to let them know... um, I hear like what you're saying, this is this, but for me, it can come across as being unsupportive to my growth. And I'd really appreciate support from you, which can be shown to me in this manner. And then that's where you might actually just mention support to me is just saying, I might not understand your uh, journey, but I'm here if you need me to be. So really realizing, right? If you're not asking someone for advice, they don't need to give the advice. And setting that right. boundary can sometimes be very helpful too. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not asking you for your advice. I'm just telling you what I need. Yes. Because notice it's like, oh, but if you change your career path now, then everything that you've done is for waste. Okay. That's according to you. Whereas everything that you've done has actually added to your experience in some way or, or another. Nothing is ever truly wasted. And part of it is also grit, right? Resilience. I spend a lot of time thinking about grit and how to encourage it and how to develop it. But I mean, in the sense that once we've made the decision, how do we develop the resilience to keep on that path, even if we keep falling down and maybe even if we have people in our lives who are encouraging us to step off the path. Uh, But maybe that actually goes completely against what we were saying about resilience. Well, if you look at this, of course, when we look at um, goals, right, long-term goals, I believe it. it's, yes, we're being flexible to some manner, but we're not saying that we're flexible, that we're not going to achieve the goal. Yeah. See, the goal is still to reach the goal. Yeah. All that we're saying is that maybe as we're trying certain things, uh, if we're too rigid, it might be 
stopping us from reaching the goal. But if we're flexible in how we want to get to the goal, maybe that could help us more. So resilience in this aspect, and I actually think it goes very well with the flexibility because imagine you're trying to get to your goal. You're sort of going like, ah, failure, failure, success, failure, right? What, What can you do there? Look at being flexible. That means what can I do to actually increase my success rate? But at the same time, use the failures Mm -hmm. or what is being perceived as failures as your stepping stone. That means each time you fall, you're basically saying, wait a second, I went through that and I went through that and I went through that and I still got back up. Yeah. And so that actually helps to also build that mindset, that faith in you, that you're resilient. Because a lot of people don't realize this, but if they go back in, you know, from childhood to where they are now, and you ask them to actually list out a few really tough periods in their life, they'll do it, not even realizing what they actually got through. Yeah. And that's where sometimes people don't realize the power within themselves to get to where they want to get to. Yeah. So realizing again, a failure we're, we're made to almost think that failure is a bad thing. Yeah. No, failure can be the fuel to your fire if used in the right way. Mm-hmm. And with that, to keep us on path, right, it sort of ties back to um, the first question, purpose. Yeah. Remember, it's always your lighthouse. So when, when things are tough, when you just don't know, you know, how am I going to get through this? You look at your purpose and you're going, no, wait a second. This is why I'm here. This is my purpose in life. So how can I not succeed when this is my purpose? I mean, I think, so people often say that the definition of madness is, is doing again and again and expecting a different result. But resilience, what you're saying is resilience is a practice of uh, falling down, getting up, trying it a different way and going and going until you figure out the right way to get there, to get to us. Um, it might try, but you're not necessarily expecting a different result every time. You're just trying to figure out what's the best way to move through the path. Yes. Essentially you, you bounce back. Resilience is like, you know, you are the rubber band and you're always bouncing back. Yeah. And yeah, if you look at that, we're not saying keep doing the same thing, you know, like, no, that, that would be like insanity. You keep doing the same thing. You're failing. Okay. No, we want to also evaluate like, oh, I fell down. It's okay. I'll try again. This other aspect, I keep trying different things, but goal always remains. I still want to get to my goal. Um, and I think just to, just to finish off, I wanted to ask, is there one daily practice that you do every day? to keep your signed um, purpose to your lighthouse? So every single day, like without fail before, uh, usually it's before I've even left the the bedroom, mm-hmm. I will definitely do my gratitude journaling. So at exactly. least three things that I'm grateful for. And mm-hmm. why I do this is it also helps me to build just a sense of overall peacefulness in my life. That means mentally, where am I at? Also learning to appreciate, you know, just the small things. Yeah. And one small bit that I've realized can be very helpful Always make your bed in the morning because if you think about it, you already succeeded at one task. Yeah. And just by doing that, when before you've even left your room, you already succeeded. 
Yeah, I love that. You know, the reason your mom told you to keep your your room tidy and make your bed in the morning <laughs> was actually there was a bigger reason behind this. I, exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time, Shireen. This has been so useful. Um, I've been taking all of these notes uh, as we've been speaking because I just love your advice. As I, I said earlier, it's just so practical and relatable. And um, yeah, it just makes you feel like you've got this. I will be linking to your Instagram page so that if anyone's listening who wants to get in touch with you, I'm sure some of this will have resonated and and they can do so. That'd be great. And thank you so much for having me on. It's been such a pleasure. So there you have it. Consistency, accountability, measurability, and a healthy dose of flexibility. Sounds easy peasy, right? I think that's where the flexibility comes in because we're all human and consistency is harder some days than others. Life sometimes, often gets in the way and we deserve to give ourselves a break when that does happen, but we can and we will get back on the path. If you want to learn more from Shireen, follow her on Instagram. She is the Illuminated Psychologist and I will also be linking um, to her Instagram in the show notes and also on our own Instagram profile, which is The Purpose Effect. If you've been listening and are enjoying these conversations, please, please subscribe, rate, and review our show wherever you love to listen to podcasts, and please also follow us on Instagram. We would love to hear your feedback on the show, or if you have women you'd love to hear from, so please DM us with your thoughts and your suggestions. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember, we have new episodes coming out each Tuesday, so see you next week.